Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Alfie Bowen. Alfie is an autism self-advocate, wildlife photographer, author, and activist based in Suffolk, England. He uses his art to highlight animal emotion and connect people with the natural world. At just 23 years old, Alfie was recently signed by the UK's biggest art gallery network, Castle Fine Art. His debut collection, Call of the Wild, was launched earlier this year, and his first book will be released in September. The documentary, An Eye for Detail, tells the story of how Alfie's passion for animals and photography helped him cope with childhood bullying. In this conversation, we discuss Alfie growing up feeling like an alien on Earth, his attempts of suicide, social skills he's had to teach himself, feeling misunderstood, his inspiration for becoming a photographer, how nature has positively impacted his mental health, autistic strengths related to photography, and advice for other autistic photographers. In this episode, discover what's possible when you focus your lens beyond the surface. For more information about Alfie and his work, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you, Alfie Bowen. Hi, Alfie. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thank you for being here today. Hello. Thank you for having me. Could you please briefly introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Alfie Bowen from Suffolk in England, and I'm a wildlife photographer, author, and activist. Great. Let's start with your autism. When were you diagnosed and how did you learn about your autism? So I was nine years old when I was diagnosed, which was quite late, meaning I missed out on a lot of the early intervention. And um, we actually went and stayed at a special centre in Cambridge for about 11 weeks, I think. So we'd go there during the week and then come home at weekends, which was quite a scary prospect for someone who struggled to meet with one person but we would go to this strange center I knew no one there and I would just be assessed for weeks on end and then at the end of my time now I was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and a generalized anxiety disorder and at that time did you and your family know what autism was my mum did. She was a qualified nursery nurse, so she knew from quite early on that I was different to most of the children she worked with. But it was getting the professionals to understand and finding a professional that was willing to assess me and diagnose me. That was the challenge. So it took, I think, three years of fighting to get me diagnosed. 
at that time in your life, did you feel that you were different? Yeah, I definitely felt like I was an, I always say like I was an alien on planet Earth, really. I didn't feel like I fitted in with anyone or with society in general. But I guess I didn't know what was wrong with me at that age. I just knew I was very different. Didn't have the skills or ability to fit in. So did the diagnosis prompt any services or therapy? I got a lot more understanding at school once I was diagnosed. There was still, they didn't really do a huge amount, but they knew I was autistic and that did, I did get some allowances. Like I wouldn't have to stay in the dining room to eat lunch where I would be bullied and have food thrown at me and various things. Instead, they'd tell me to go and sit in a classroom on my own and eat my lunch there. So I guess it was good in that I escaped the bullying, but also made me feel very isolated. Mm. What was it like for you with the bullying? Did you have any friends to support you? So mainstream high school, I had no friends, basically. I think it was a school of a thousand pupils, which was, as you can imagine, very overwhelming for an autistic child. And um, no one even bothered to say hello, really. I got constantly laughed at. And, um, bullied for sitting in class time, reading about animals. Um, wasn't really the normal topic of conversation between people in high school. So I got bullied for that. And the bullying was pretty much constant for 10 years. So then I got put on a part-time timetable at the school. Meanwhile, mum fought three tribunals to try and get me into a smaller special needs school. I ended up refusing to leave my room for a week and trying to commit suicide five times, the first at just 15 years old. Wow. In those moments when you were trying to commit suicide, what was going on through your head? Just wanting to escape this feeling of not belonging, of everyone laughing at me constantly. And I found being bullied and laughed at for reading about animals, which was my one passion in life, the one thing I got enjoyment from. I found that really difficult. Hmm. So what pulled you away from actually committing suicide in those moments? My dog, Rosie. It was a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. I had her for 13 years. She was my one real friend. She'd always be there and I'd always talk to her. and She'd always be pleased to see me, which was something I rarely experienced in those early days. I remember one time I'd actually came close to drowning myself in the bath and mum found me just before I drowned. Mm. But the love of my family was always constant and always there. That was my one escape, I guess. Mm -hmm. Of those five times, when was the last one? That was just before I moved to Centre Academy East Angola, which was a special needs school. Can't remember the exact year that would have been. But I, was, I think I was around 15, 16. Okay. So these suicidal thoughts have stopped for now. Yeah. Okay, good. How did you cope with the bullying in the moment? At school, I was very good at ignoring it 
or not ignoring it, but not reacting. I would kind of save it all up and then get home and then just have these massive meltdowns. Got very angry with family. Just wasn't very happy outside of school. So the bullying in school kind of transferred to my out of school life. I lost passion in everything. Wasn't interested in anything. Would just sit in my room all the while. Hmm. Did you ever try to stand up for yourself? Not in school, no. Just ignored it and carried on sitting there, really. I know in class time I used to get a lot of it and I'd just sit there in silence and stare at the clock until it got to three o'clock and I could finally escape home. But then when I got home in my safe space, it all kind of hit me from the day. And then, of course, I went to bed full of anxiety for the next day and then had to get up and go through it all again. Mm -hmm. So this went on throughout high school? Yeah, throughout my years at mainstream high school. Mum went to court three times and finally got me into a private special educational needs school. And the whole school was just 50 pupils, so that was completely different to the mainstream system. So the bullying stopped at that point? Yeah, it was a completely different approach. I was surrounded by other kids that were like me and also staff that were understanding. I know at the mainstream school I'd suffered quite a bit of, not bullying, but unpleasant behaviour from staff. Mm -hmm. I had um, staff saying that I'd never be capable of passing a GCSE. I couldn't do a geography or history GCSE because it was too much writing. And then when I got to the special needs school, I sat six GCSEs in the first year and done a two-year geography course in a year. So it just shows the impact of the approach of the school. Mm-hmm. How old are you now, Alfie? Just turned 23 in February. Okay, so you know, several years have passed since the bullying experiences. How have you processed that time in your life? That's a difficult question. I guess I'm still processing it now. Mm -hmm. I try and put a lot of the energy into my photography and into the activism, trying to make sure that other children don't go through what I did because I can't I can't go back and change what happened then, but I can try and influence what happens in the future in my own small way. If you could say something to the bullies now, adult to adult, what would you say? I don't know what I'd say to them adult to adult, but I always say to kids, be kind to each other because you never know what other people are going through. And that one little bit of kindness can change someone's life. Hmm. So how does autism affect your everyday life now? I think I've definitely got better at managing the um, autism. I guess the anxiety plays a bigger part in my life now. I get quite worried about social situations still. I um, didn't have any social skills to begin with, so I've had to kind of teach myself social skills, especially in the doing the career that I do. 
there's a lot of interviews, meeting people in galleries, speaking to collectors of my photographs. So I think that's sort of pushed me to grow socially and to try and overcome some of the difficulties I've had. Could you give an example of some of the social skills that you've had to teach yourself? Looking people in the eye, actually being willing to speak to someone, which in the early days I just avoid all social contact, whereas now I say yes to interviews, um, yes to meeting people, yes to talking to people. So that was a big barrier to overcome. Being able to understand people's sarcasm and jokes and moods, that's taken a long while. Hmm. Now, does the discomfort come from not understanding other people or you yourself feeling misunderstood or both? I think a bit of both probably, but mainly from feeling misunderstood. What are some ways that you feel misunderstood? People always thinking that autistic people are stupid. People not spending the time to get to know me, just saying, oh, you're autistic and not bothering to speak to me. Yeah, those are the main ones. So what do you wish the world knew about autism? That autistic people are actually some of the kindest and most intelligent people. Um, if you look at some of the biggest kind of names in history that have discovered things or biggest artists and that a lot of them are autistic. So spend time getting to know autistic people. Okay, Alfie, let's talk about your work. What inspired you to become a photographer? I kind of came naturally into photography, actually, through my, I've had a lifelong obsession with animals, with the natural world. And I'd spend hours as a child looking at encyclopedias and watching David Attenborough documentaries until the books fell apart, basically. And then I wanted another way to explore that passion for animals and picked up my mum's little compact Lumix camera that was small in my hand. And that's where the love of photography began. So I used to take the camera everywhere with me. And then within a couple of months, I'd got fed up with a camera because it wouldn't do what I wanted it to. It wasn't advanced enough. I couldn't change the lenses or the settings. So I started my Christmas list in October that year and requested a proper camera. And then was very excited until Christmas Day when I got it. Haven't looked back since then, basically. Do you only shoot animals or do you shoot other things in nature as well? Animals mainly. I've done some landscapes and I've done the occasional shoot of people or whatever, but I always say photograph best what you know best and that's definitely animals for me. Do you feel like you're communicating with the animals that you're photographing? Yeah, I think I definitely connect more with animals than with people. I definitely feel more myself around animals than I do around people. A bit like the flick of a switch when I get to a zoo or whatever. All the stresses and anxiety just vanishes while I'm there. And then I leave the zoo gate and it all floods back again. <laughs> mm. How has nature positively impacted your autism and mental health? <laughs> 
became my therapy, really. In a lot of the early years, I went through various therapies and talking to various people, and I found none of it really worked. And then I got out into the natural world, and it just I just found this peace that I can't find anywhere else. Hmm. What are your artistic strengths that affect your photography? I think the biggest one is noticing every small detail, which can be quite overwhelming in everyday life. But in my photography, it allows me to notice viewpoints and angles and details that other people wouldn't. For example, on a zebra, if there's a white hair on a black stripe, I notice it straight away. So I pick up on all of that and that comes across in my photography. Do you have a favorite animal or a favorite animal that you like to photograph? Got three favorites, really. I can never narrow it down to one. Two of them are giraffe and zebra, which I'm drawn to the stripes and the patterns on the skin. And the third is flamingos. I don't quite know why I'm so obsessed with flamingos, but I ended up doing a whole year-long photographic project with them where I photographed them constantly for the year in all different light and different times of day and really tried to highlight the emotional side of the flamingo rather than just its bright pink feathers. So that's what I try and do through my photography, highlight the emotional side and get people to look deeper than just the appearance of the animal. What did you learn about the flamingo that year? I learned that they're like humans in a lot of ways. Um, some of them can be playful. Some of them are very grumpy and they'll snap at any other flamingo that comes near them. They're very intelligent. They can notice when it's going to rain quite a while before it actually does. They're very fussy with breeding. If there's a slight temperature change, they won't lay an egg. Mm-hmm. I ended up actually reading a whole book about the behavior and brain of a flamingo, which was quite interesting. I always spend a lot of time trying to get to know the subject before I even go out and photograph it, because I always think that helps to know the behavior and be able to spot the behavioral patterns can help you get ready to, for a photograph. Mm-hmm. I'll also spend, I spent quite a bit of time for the Flamingo Project, uh, sketching out potential images at my desk. And the the ideas will come to me at like two in the morning or when I'm in the bath or random times, I'll just have ideas for these photographs. So I sketch them out and then I'll go out and sit by the side of a lake with a group of flamingos for six hours and wait until I get that shot and turn that drawing into an actual photograph. So that's something I really enjoy turning the Ah. idea into the actual photograph. Mm -hmm. What does it feel like when you know that you've captured a good shot? Hard to explain, really. It's an amazing feeling. I actually captured a giraffe shot when we were filming for my film. And I said it was just like I wanted to jump up and down and scream. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Especially when you've been trying. I know some of my photographs I've been trying to get for a year or so. So when you finally get them, it's an amazing feeling. And if I go to the zoo and I get that one special image, then I want to head home straight away. There's no point staying because I've got what I wanted. I don't go to the zoo to shoot 300 images. 
that I'm then going to share. It's about trying to get that one really special moment that I've envisaged mentally before. Yeah, I know that giraffe photo you're talking about because I watched your film. Could you describe it for our listeners? Yeah, so I'd originally tried the style with a tiger cub, um, photographing the tiger cub against the skin of its mother. And the outcome was really nice. I really liked the image. So I then decided I'd try it with a giraffe. And we actually had two baby giraffe calves born pretty much at the same time at my local zoo, a little boy and a little girl. So I decided I'd try it with those. And I tried four times to get the image. Uh, Came close a couple of times, but it wasn't quite pin sharp or the light wasn't quite right. And then everything came together when I was filming for the film. So the baby giraffe moved in front of its mum, looked straight down the camera, and the light was perfect. So it's a baby giraffe head and face against the skin of its mother. It's proved a really popular image, actually, since I took it. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Thank you. It's like a natural backdrop. Yeah, I actually ended up going on to do it with an elephant and with a zebra as well. Mm -hmm. Can you share a memorable experience on a shoot that surprised, inspired, or moved you? The first thing that comes to mind is actually before I got into photography, but it was at that zoo when I was, I think I must have been seven or eight, and that was the first giraffe calf I ever saw. And then I spent the whole year watching it grow from six foot to 16 foot. And then a couple of years ago, she passed away, unfortunately, but I always hold that very close. That experience of watching this baby giraffe grow up is something that still inspires me today. Mm -hmm. And then I guess through photography, I, I always enjoy looking into the eye of, something like a lion or a tiger. I find that really moving. Or actually an elephant. I spent a while trying to get a photograph of an elephant's eye because it's something that people very rarely look at. But if you look into an elephant's eye, there's so much soul and emotion there. So that was really moving when I got that shot. Yeah. Can you talk more about that connection you feel with the animals? I guess I don't feel any pressure when I'm around animals because I know they're not going to laugh at me or bully me or anything. They're generally quite pleased to see people, especially domestic animals, but wild animals are never, they never bully me or laugh at me or anything. I always enjoy spending hours just sitting there watching them. Mm -hmm. What are your feelings and thoughts about the zoo in general? You know, some people are anti putting animals in cages and say that you know humans are using it for their own entertainment then you have the other side which is saying that we're learning about the animals by getting to observe them up close and personal what are your thoughts about this i've always been a big supporter of zoos and i think zoos have moved on a lot in the last 25 years moved away from small cages to more expansive, natural-like homes for these animals. And a lot of zoos have moved into doing some 
really important conservation work and um, putting money into lots of charities around the world that fight for these animals in their natural habitats. And of course, another aspect is breeding programs. Sustaining the gene pool is really important for a lot of endangered species. And zoos play a vital part in that. Um, like the reticulated giraffe at my local zoo, the two calves, especially the female, will go on to play a really important part in the global conservation program for the species. And without those zoos, the species would face a much bleaker future. Hmm. Okay. How would you describe your art, your photos? Quite emotional, or I hope they are. That's what I try. That's my main focus through my photography, to get people to connect to the natural world, to look deeper than just the appearance of an animal, to inspire them to care about the natural world. They're often black and white because I always feel that that encourages people to look deeper, to connect emotionally to the animal. Um, a lot of them, I'd say 90% of them focus on the eye, which is famously known as the kind of window to the soul. So I always focus on the eye, trying to get a pin-sharp eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and earlier this year, Alfie, you were signed by the UK art gallery Castle Fine Art. And you launched your debut collection, Call of the Wild. And these prints include a lion, a chimpanzee, and a leopard. Why did you choose these animals for the collection? I think they're probably three of my strongest images over the, from the last four years. They've all got a lot of emotion. The eyes play a key part, apart from in the chimp. But I think the chimp is a very... It's a very emotional image in that people connect to it. It's, it kind of shows how a lot of people feel in everyday life. So there's a strong emotional connection and impact in all three of the portraits. And they've been very well received across the UK. I've had a, also a lot of autistic people that have gone into galleries and seen the pictures and reached out to me. So it's been really lovely. And Call of the Wild Part 2 is coming in September, so that's very exciting. We've just confirmed the lineup of prints for that. Can you give us a little teaser? I can't say too much apart from there may be a flamingo involved. I am embargoed on anything further than that. Okay. <laughs> I'm off to sign the first batch of prints for September in two weeks' time, so very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. So back to the first call of the wild, you talk about the chimpanzee showing a lot of emotion, humanistic traits. What do the pieces symbolize to you? I guess they're sort of the end result of what has been a long journey from bullied, suicidal, autistic child to now, to years of dreaming. And finally, those dreams starting to come true. But I arrived at the title, Call of the Wild, because I've always felt this calling from the wild, this connection, and I wanted that to come across in the collection. So how did you go from you know, being a young child interested in his mom's camera 
to now a photographer that's getting signed by different galleries and releasing documentaries and books, was there a monumental step or shift in your career? It's just been a very long journey full of determination that eventually I would get to where I wanted to be. I left Centre Academy and went to university to study photography and had to leave after three weeks because of more bullying from young adults and actually got psychosis from the anxiety. So I had to spend a month or so just sleeping and recovering. When I recovered, I started the business two months later and was determined that I wasn't going to give up and I was going to get to where I wanted to be and I was going to prove these people wrong. And I've just been slowly digging away at it ever since. I guess a bit like someone slowly picking away at a mountain of rock with an axe, slowly chipping away at it, each little piece breaking away to finally get to or start getting to where I want to be. But the big aim is still to change the world for autistic people which I know is probably a crazy goal, but I won't give up on it until I've done it. Hmm. So your documentary, which was also released this year, is called An Eye for Detail. What's the intention behind the documentary? So we wanted to tell my as much of my life story in six minutes of film as we could. So with the aim of inspiring other autistic children, and proving that their dreams can come true and to encourage them to keep fighting. So we chose three important locations in my journey. So home, um, Africa Alive, which is my local zoo that I've been going to since I was two years old, and then Castle Fine Art, which is sort of the latest milestone in my journey. So we filmed at those three locations to try and highlight the journey I've been on. Was it your idea to do the documentary? It was kind of a joint idea between myself and Water Bear Network, who have been great supporters of me and my journey and my message and everything. Since release, it's been incredibly well received. I've been really touched by the amount of support I've received, not just from people as a whole, but also autistic children that write to me, some of which I know, some of whom I know mentor as well. Could you share some of the messages that touched you? Had a lot of parents saying that I've inspired them to carry on fighting, that they're not so scared about their children's future now, that there is hope for their children. And a lot of autistic children saying, that they look up to me, that I'm a role model to them, that they want to be me in the future, which is really special because I know the impact of having an autistic role model. Growing up, there was only really one that I knew that was quite a famous autistic person who was Chris Packham, who used to, or still does, present Spring Watch. And that was the person I always looked up to as a child. And I guess without that, I would have been even more lost. So I know the importance of having someone like you, someone who's autistic in society to look up to. And you're also releasing a book, as you mentioned, this September. 
Tell us about that. The book has been my longest project. I think I started it four years ago when I was at the special needs school. I said to the principal, I'd really love to release a book because I've always loved books. So he helped me to reach out to some publishers back then, but my photography wasn't really at a very high level. So it was rejected by all the publishers, but I spent that kind of spurred me on to spend the next three years developing my photography and develop my writing as well, which I also have a big love for. And then I put together the book a year and a half ago and approached some more publishers, was rejected by some more. And then I found ACC Art Books, who I've worked with to publish the book, and they were really not only passionate about the photography, but also about the wider message of inspiring other autistic people. So it was a great moment to finally sign the book deal. And I guess it's a lesson in never giving up, really, because I could have easily given up over those four years with all the rejections I got. Mm-hmm. But the book's just been printed, actually, in the last few days over in Belgium, and it will arrive in my hands in the week of the 16th of August, so I'm really excited. But it also feels like the end of a chapter in some ways because it's been my baby and my project for four years. So to finally put it on the shelf and finish it is kind of sad but also a very proud moment. Yeah, well, that's a huge accomplishment and just opens the door to another project for you to put your focus on. Yeah, I'm really excited to see the impact it will hopefully have on the autistic community around the world. It's being released globally. And there's also a French edition. So hopefully it will inspire lots of people. Is it kind of like an autobiography style or is it more of your prints? So it's a coffee table book, which has got 200 of my photographs in. There's also quite a long, detailed essay about my journey with autism. And uh, I was actually very honoured that Chris Packham actually wrote the foreword for the book. Wow. You're a role model. Yeah. He is now a good friend of mine. I'm also given 50p from every book to WWF to try and aid the conservation efforts to save the species that star in the book. WWF is World Wildlife Federation? The World Wildlife Fund, yeah. Fund, okay. So this is a huge year for you, Alfie. You had your signing with Castle Fine Art, your documentary, and your book also. What's next for you? I've got lots of speaking events coming up, school tour events, going into schools trying to inspire pupils to be kinder to each other to accept each other's differences we've got the next collection as i mentioned with castle fine art coming out and then i start work on the collection of prints for next year there's a few other things bubbling away that i'm not allowed to talk about yet but yeah exciting times (laughs) yeah all right alfie i'd like to close with one last question what advice would you give to other autistic photographers either those interested in pursuing a career or enjoying it as a hobby? 
It's an interesting question. I actually mentor a young autistic photographer who used lockdown actually to get out in nature in a local area in London. It's been incredible to see the passion she has for it, the knowledge she has for wildlife and the result and images that have come back. And my, I guess my one bit of advice is autistic people normally have an obsession or a special interest. So go out and photograph what you love because you'll always get better results. You'll be more passionate about it. You'll do it more. And that's what results in the best photos, more practice. So, yeah, photograph what you love. All right. And don't give up. Yes. Okay, how can people learn more about you? On my website, alfiebowen.com, or on Instagram at alfiebowen. Okay, and we'll put links to all of that in our show notes so people can follow you. Brilliant. All right, Alfie, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story and your expertise with us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Alfie's autistic strengths, such as attention to detail, allow him to notice things in a way that others may not. By capturing the emotion of animals through his photographs, he's encouraging others to appreciate the beauty of nature. Alfie's also breaking the stereotype that autistic individuals cannot be successful artists. If you're a self-advocate wanting to share your life experiences or a professional working in the field of autism education, our SkillCore volunteer program is an opportunity you don't want to miss. The Global Autism Project provides sustainable clinical, administrative, and leadership training to autism centers seeking guidance. As a SkillCore member, you can travel to our partner sites around the world and work directly with their local teachers and therapists. If you'd like to learn more about our SkillCore program, check out episodes 4, 17, 53, and 66, featuring SkillCore volunteers that have been to India, the Netherlands, Indonesia, Dominican Republic, and Kenya, to name a few. Listen to them talk about their transformative experiences and see what SkillCore can offer you. Just a reminder, we're currently accepting applications to travel with SkillCore in 2022. Begin your journey today at globalautismproject.org forward slash SkillCore. That's S-K-I-L-L-C-O-R-P-S. As a listener of our show, take advantage of this coupon code to waive the application fee. It's Autism Podcast, with no space in all caps. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.